Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Chris Graham here. It's a Sunday night as I'm recording, and we've got the short turnaround for Virginia, Virginia Tech. And man, I have so much that we wrote about, uh, reported on from yesterday's Virginia win 49-47 over Wake Forest, and we'll probably have to skim over that uh, to get into um, uh, this this short time frame here. It's really tough. And then, of course, we have Monday's game and then not another game till next Saturday. Plenty of time then to, to, to both break down Virginia Tech, get ready for North Carolina. I guess we'll focus. Maybe we should start with let's start with um, with yesterday's win. Uh, there was so much going on there. Five observations first from Virginia's first to forty nine win. My wife said she was sitting up in the uh, upper deck of JPJ yesterday uh, and and talking with the people sitting around her. Does the first to fifty win this game? Nobody got to fifty, as it turns out. What's funny about this game is that, uh, you know, just a week ago, Virginia won a game 80-76 at Florida State. Um, and what I've noticed is it's, you know, the score of games, you know, these are two dramatic differences, 80 points in a win, 49 points in a win. But the uh, d- dramatic difference can be um, at least in part a result of uh, the the way the games are officiated. Uh, just 24 fouls called yesterday in the game. Uh, and there were 41 called in the Florida State game last week. Um, you know, Tony Bennett got a technical foul, uh, his first technical foul in 14 years, and it was over frustration at the lack of calls. For, uh, Wake Forest, give them credit. Uh, their defensive approach was based on the way the game was being called early, grabbing and clutching Virginia's uh, cutters, uh, the guards who run through the you know, the mover blocker sides offense, the, the way the offense is set up, the, the two bigs generally are setting screens uh, on either side of the, the lane uh, and guards are you know, running around either, you know, around or just circles around the guys uh, trying to get freed up on screens. If uh, if the defense is being allowed to, to grab and clutch, grab shirts, grab armpits, grab everything they can grab onto uh, and impede the flow of the cutters, there's not much Virginia can do um, offensively. Uh, you, it's really hard to change that up. They, they, uh, Tony Bennett likes to run something that, you know, you see called sometimes middle third triangle offense um, uh, that basically sets up the screen in the middle of the floor. And, and there's a lot of action there, but it's, it's, it's still a screen based offense. And uh, I mean, most offense in basketball is screen based, it's either that or ISO, right? Uh, and if if uh, defenses are allowed to clutch the 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 guys cutting um, trying to cut, uh, there's not much that can be done. Um, yesterday's game was reminiscent of 1990s uh, Detroit Pistons slash New York Knicks NBA basketball, um, and the NBA legislated that kind of basketball out. The NCAA still allows it from time to time, and yesterday was one of those times. Um, so Virginia gets uh, the win, uh, didn't get to 50 in either game against Wake Forest this year, lost the first one 66-47 down in Winston-Salem. But uh, the two games played very differently, um, even though the, the Virginia scored in the same range. Uh, Hunter Salas had 21 points in the win uh, down in Winston-Salem for Wake Forest last month. He had 12 points yesterday. Kevin Miller, the point guard, a 14.7 assist in the win, Nine points, two assists, four turnovers in the loss. Andrew Carr, the power forward, he had 12 points and 12 rebounds in the win, four points, eight rebounds in the loss. Wake as a team, 
50% from the field, 10 of 21 from three in the win, 34.5% yesterday from the field, five of 21 in the loss. Uh, defense was the um, the big difference. Also rebounding. Wake Forest, 40, a 40-27 advantage in rebounding in the win, a 38-36 advantage uh, yesterday in the loss, and uh, uh, def- offensive rebounding was, was even, 10 apiece. Uh, Reese Beekman, I, I wrote that he's Malcolm Brogdoning now in his last uh, six games now, averaging 18.5 points, 5.2 assists per game, 47.9% shooting, 36.8% shooting from three. Uh, this from a guy that, uh, you know, won the season is averaging over 14 points and six assists per game, but he's really taken his team on his back offensively the last few games. Um, and yesterday in the second half, when this game was very much in the in the balance, he had 14 points on six of nine shooting, 14 of Virginia's 28 points in the second half. And uh, he was he was the big guy. I noted in the column that I wrote yesterday last night that I don't get a vote in these things. They only let the important people vote. But if I did have a vote, he was he's my ACC player of the year because of what he's meant to this Virginia team. And then there's Ryan Dunn. Um, I wrote that the two numbskulls who sit next to me at the games, and they know who they are, Scott German and Jerry Radcliffe, they were having a running commentary yesterday about how they can't figure out how Ryan Dunn is a projected number of a first-round draft pick in the 2024 NBA draft. They, they must not have been paying attention to any of the seven blocks that Ryan Dunn had in this game. Now, yes, his offense gets six points on three of eight shooting. He, he can't buy a free throw at this point. But he had the seven blocks. He had nine rebounds. Uh, he was a big reason that Wake Forest had all those the, the the shooting woes. Those guys had off nights, off days. Game was played during the daytime. Um, I've said this to a few people. I've written this in email responses to a few people. You know, you don't just get drafted into the NBA and, and play in the NBA because you score twenty five points a game. Uh, and light it up on the offensive end. There's plenty of guys who are just there for defense. And Virginia fans should know this. Virginia observers should know this. DeAndre Hunter um, scored, you know, certainly was a better offensive player, a more finished product uh, after his third year at EVA, second year as a player. He redshirted one year um, and was number four pick in the draft. He scored 15 and a half points a game um, as a redshirt sophomore in 2019. But um, he was primarily drafted because of his defensive abilities. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I need to look these numbers up, but Kawhi Leonard, Who's, who's you know become a, a much better offensive player certainly and a franchise type player. But when he was he was originally drafted, was he out of San Diego State? I think it was. Um, he was primarily a defensive player uh, and and was so good defensively that that he was a key part of you know those San Antonio teams, the late Tim Duncan era San Antonio teams. Let me go way back to Dennis Rodman. Uh, Dennis Rodman was not a guy who could you know make much of anything on the offensive end. But uh, he was out there because of defense and rebounding. You need guys like that on every team. And, and you know, Ryan would probably be more valuable and certainly would be more valuable, I think, to a team that's already got, uh, you know, scores at other positions. But you, you don't put a team of five scores out on the floor anyway. Um, you know, everybody, the Draymond Green, uh, Golden State would be another comparison um, for Ryan Dunn. So, um, that's the kind of game he had yesterday. It's the kind of game he brings to Virginia. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying he, I, that I want him to be a first round pick this year. I think he could come back, uh, and, and maybe polish a little bit of his offensive game, maybe have a, a DeAndre Hunter like, uh, revelation between his sophomore and, and junior years in college and, and, you know, make himself an even, even more valuable player to the NBA, 
uh, with a year of work at the college level and make him be more valuable to himself. I've seen him projected anywhere from I think 17 to end of first round. You know, DeAndre was a number four pick. He did a lot. I mean, the, the, the way the NBA salary uh, uh, scale is for first round picks, uh, there's a big difference between top of the first round and, and middle and then bottom of the first round. And it's not just for the first year, it's for the first five years of your career. So, but uh, he's, he's, he's clearly an NBA talent. It's just, he's got to develop on the offensive side. Another offensively challenged guy who had a big impact yesterday, Jordan Miner for Virginia, uh, did not score in the game. <laughs> he missed his only shot from the floor. He was 0 for 2 from the line. That was an issue. Um, but he had four rebounds in 19 minutes, also blocked a shot. And his plus six plus minus was second on the team to Dunn's plus 11, the two defensive guys. Uh, on this team had the best games from a plus minus standpoint. The free throw shooting was what it was. I I I don't know that I've I've not seen this anywhere. I I do not have access to the Elias Sports Bureau. I'm not even sure if they do work in college basketball, but the Elias Sports Bureau is something we talk about in baseball all the time. Um, I would love someone to go through um, the records of every college basketball game and see if a team has ever won a game shooting one for eleven or comparable from the foul line virginia made one of 11 from the line and it should have been i mean it could have been worse i've I've always i've I've always advocated for if you missed the front end of a one and one that should count as over two virginia missed the front end of two one and ones in the last 38 seconds um had a chance to put this one away several times it came down to a last second defensive stand to hold out the and preserve the 49 47 win but looking at the one of 11 from the line um, I like to say this, uh, and I and I was saying this on press row yesterday, even though as the, the time was running short. Um, your your free throw shooting is is often a function of who's shooting the free throws, um, and uh, so you know factor that in. You know, yesterday you had Jordan Miner, who's a season sixty percent shooter, uh, shooting three of the eleven free throws. Ryan Dunn, who's a season fifty six point one percent free throw shooter, he shot three of the free throws. Blake Buchanan, a season 56.4% shooter, 0 of 2. Now, Reese Beekman is a 75.3% shooter. He missed the front end of a 1 and 1. And uh, then you had uh, Isaac McNeely, who coming into the game was 89.5% from the line. He missed the first of a two shot foul, made the second. He made the free throw, he, the one free throw Virginia made in the game. Um, so I did some math. And of course, this is math. This isn't necessarily, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be a reflection of. Um, exactly how free throws are made or not, but if you if you just do the probabilities of you know Jordan Miner, for example, being zero for three, the sixty percent foul shooter expected makes for him would be one point eight out of those three, right? So I did the math on this, and I came up to Virginia should instead of being one of eleven, should have been nine of thirteen from the line. That's eight points. Virginia won by two. This game should have been a 10-point win for Virginia. If you just shoot 69.2% from the line, not saying shoot 13 of 13. 9 of 13 is, is not going to win you any free throw shooting contest. Just do just do what you can do there, and you're going to you know, win the game without having to get uh, a stop on a, a play where Wake could have either tied it with a two or won it with a three at the buzzer. So um, that's the way things go. Uh, in, in college basketball. The impact uh, next uh, up here, I'll talk about the impact on the metrics, and I'll, I'll bring it up uh, in, in relation to the rest of the ACC as well because uh, we're getting close now. I, it's hard to hold off. 
you know, I, I've got all these plans in place all season long, but, you know, metrics don't mean much to me. I know Joe Lunardi will come out with his first bracketology for next year, the day after the national championship game, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous to even talk bracketology to me until February. But here we are, uh, middle of February. It's actually the second half of February now. Virginia with the win improved slightly in the computers. Um, the average rank uh, after the um, loss to Pitt on Monday uh, was 37.2 in the six metrics that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee uses uh, to help it see the field, produce and then see the field. Um, 37.2 would factor into about a 9 or a 10 seed uh, in the NCAA Tournament if you're seeding based on the computers. Um, the rank after yesterday's win improved two and a half spots up to 34.7. So all of a sudden you're talking about pretty solid nine seed. Uh, and I'm seeing, uh, you know, the ESPN, uh, not Joe Lunardi himself, but their other guy who does uh, bracket writing um, says Virginia is a solid eight seed. So, hey, we're in, the, you know, in that area code, let's just say. Um, looking across the ACC, uh, the, the, it's weird to me to say that Clemson is one of the three locks. I'm, I'm not buying Clemson as a lock, but the ESPN, a couple of the, the two ESPN renderings of the bracket have Clemson as a, a lock as a seven seed right now. UNC is a two or a three seed Duke as probably right now, a three seed Then Virginia as an eight or a nine. I'm saying nine. The ESPN folks are saying eight. Wake Forest and Pitt are the other two getting um, long looks. Wake Forest, based just on the computer averages, would be either one of the last four in or first four out. So I've got them as 11 or bubble. Pitt is interesting. Pitt with another win yesterday. It was over Louisville, so that's not going to prove your numbers very much, but that's short term. Uh, but their average rating right now is 50.1. Um, that doesn't, you don't, you don't, see a lot of teams with an average rating of computers at 50.1 getting it at large bid. So at 17 and eight, eight and six in the ACC, seven wins in their last eight, including road wins at Duke and at Virginia. And they're outside looking in. Uh, it's hard, but you know, right now they'd be outside looking in. I, you know, I would, I would personally, if computers say one thing, I test says another and right now. The I test to me, I mean, wake obviously played Virginia great yesterday, but, but came up short. Pitt is hot right now. Uh, I know there's still a couple weeks to go in the regular season. Then we got the ACC tournament. Plenty of opportunities for both those schools to improve their standing. Um, you know, I'd like to think that the ACC gets six. This is a, a good conference. Uh, you know, I did some math on this. So I'll go ahead and talk about this. I wasn't necessarily planning to to get into this, but um, when I looked at the macro level, because there were there, there were some comments from both coach Tony Bennett, UVA, and then Steve Forbes at Wake Forest uh, talking about how silly things are right now in the discussion. Um, when I did some math on this, uh, and it takes a while to do this, this is why it's late in the day on Sunday when I'm finally getting to, to recording this podcast. We're less than 24 hours from the tip tomorrow night, and I like to have this podcast out sooner. But um, I'm just just comparing the Big 12 and the ACC. The Big 12, according to the uh, experts, um, has five locks and four should-be-ins. Nine teams out of its 14 in the Big 12. That would be uh, in the NCAA tournament field right now, while the ACC has three locks, one should-be-in, and two work-to-dos. We just went over that list 
uh, in the ACC. Um, a big reason for this is just how the, the relative conferences and then thus their members rank in the computers. And the way the rank in the computers works is, I mean, you know, it's three of the computers are, are predictive me uh, measures and then three are, are results-based measures. And they all go on, you know, things like strength of schedule and, and you, you, you know, well, at least the, the all, all do that. And then the predictive ones also then factor in, uh, will we'll factor in some factor of score of those games. The, the, the results base won't factor the scores in so much. Um, I'm curious as to how the ACC, so the ACC's um, record in non-conference games this year was 134 and 48. We won't play anymore until the NCAA tournament or the NIT for the teams that don't make the tournament. A 720 winning percentage. The Big 12 had an 810 winning percentage. So you'd say, well, gosh, just based on that, yeah, the Big 12 is a better conference. They had a better non-conference winning percentage. Then you look at the average. I did this. It took a while to do this. I looked up all the uh, the the uh, strength of schedule ranks for the 14 teams in the Big 12, the 15 teams in the ACC. Then I averaged them out, and it wasn't even close. The non the average non-conference strength of schedule in the Big 12. 211. There are 362 teams in Division One. They average 211. The ACC's average non-conference during the schedule, 129. So the ACC had a 72% winning percentage against a much harder strength of schedule than the Big 12. But the Big 12, now in the, the three uh, areas where there are predictive measures, they played a bunch of cream puffs collectively. I mean, obviously there were there were some good games in there for individual schools. Good, good tough matchups against individual schools. But in the games with cream puffs, they rolled up scores. And when you roll up scores in the predictive measures ones, it uh, doesn't matter that there's a factor of uh, opponent strength and it uh, rolled into there. If you win a game by 40 points, you win a game by 40 points. Um, so you, it's, it's, it's uh, we'll call it gaming the system. And you know, I headlined this this particular column. The ACC needs to get off its dumb butt and realize, hey, stop stop scheduling tough. Have, tell your tell your schools stop scheduling tough non conference games. Go twelve and zero against a bunch of cream puffs. That's the way to do it. Virginia this year, for example, played uh, a a November tournament, lost a game to Wisconsin. What good did that do us? Right, because you you don't get any credit for losing to Wisconsin. Uh, when you look at you know uh, a Big Twelve team playing a a three hundred plus NET ranking ranked team and beating them by forty, you don't get credit for losing to Wisconsin in that game. You don't get credit for going to Memphis and losing that game. Um, play a bunch of cream puffs at home. That's that seems to be what works for the Big Twelve. And I'll, without having done the math, I'll assume it works for the other conferences too that are ahead of the ACC right now. All right, let's talk now real quick uh, now because I don't want to keep you here too long. Um, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Um, tomorrow night, Big Monday, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, our second of second uh, time of the season playing Big Monday. Hey, advantage to both schools. We didn't have to travel very far. Virginia was at home yesterday, going to Blacksburg tomorrow. Virginia Tech was in Chapel Hill, which is just what an hour and a half down the road if it's even that far. Uh, and then they get to be at home. So at least, you know, no advantage, disadvantage there uh, for either team from a travel standpoint. Uh, let's see. That's a tough place to play. I keep I say this all the time. I write this all the time when in relation 
to Virginia, Virginia Tech games in Blacksburg for Virginia fans. If you've never been to a game in Blacksburg, and if you've never been to a Virginia, Virginia Tech game in Blacksburg, I mean, if you went to a Virginia Tech Campbell game in November, it was the Castle Coliseum would seem like a mausoleum. Um, tech fans, you know, it's, it's a football school, I mean, from the sports uh, standpoint. But they know to get up for three games. They don't get Duke and Carolina every year at home. They do get Virginia every year at home. Uh, and, and you know, the place holds 89-25. A lot of nights there's not anywhere close to 89-25, but you can guarantee tomorrow night if the weather is not the weather is not bad in terms of the forecast, but if it was, if there was a foot of snow on the coming down tomorrow night, there'd be 89-25 there. And they'd all be hanging from the rafters. And that place is really tough. You know, they they don't sit the media down on the floor anymore, but back when they did, it really gave me uh, uh, it's been a few years since I've been there, but really gave me an education in how tough that place is to play. I happen to be seated on the end uh, where across from the Virginia bench, which is right underneath the student section. And that, that student section feels like it's like straight up from the basket. It's not, but it feels like it because it's just a wall of kids yelling and screaming. And it's not just during free throws, which yeah, the free throws are tough, but uh, it's, it's, every, you know, you're, you're playing offense in that end in the second half. And even in the years when tech didn't, you know, back a few years ago, didn't have good teams and Virginia did have really good teams. Uh, these games will be tough for Virginia because of just that environment. Um, this is a decent tech team. I mean, I, I'm a little surprised this, this tech team to me is playing under, uh, where it should be right now at 14 and 11 have lost four of their last five. Um, you know, had a really good non-conference uh, performance. Uh, I think they were eight and three in non-conference, but they played a really tough schedule. Didn't do them any good. I think there's their non-conference strength of schedule was 37, if I remember from looking it up earlier today. Um, but, uh, you know, now at six and eight in the ACC, not really even close to the bubble uh, for for this tech team as far as NCAA tournament's concerned, but still a good team, a dangerous team. You don't want to play them there. Uh, especially for Virginia. Uh, looking at this tech team, we've already seen them once this year, so I'm repeating a lot if you've watched the previous. Uh, but it, it's still worth repeating. No one injured uh, of, of the major players. Sean Padula and Hunter Couture are the heart of this team. Backcourt, 6'1", Padula, 15.5 points a game. He's a 39.9% shooter from the field. That number is down from where it was earlier this year. He's 35.2% from three. Um, Couture... He's a really good shooter. He's a fifth-year senior, uh, 14.3 points a game, 47.7% from the field, 42.7% from three. Um, Padula had 18 points and five assists in the loss to Virginia back last month, but he also had uh, seven turnovers and was just six of 16 from the floor, so he had to work an awful lot to put up 18 and five. Uh, Couture was relatively quiet for him, 12 points, five of 10 shooting. The guy that surprised me in terms of how quiet he was in the first game was Lynn Kidd. He's a guy who's been at Tech for a while. Um, he's a 6'10 senior, kind of one of those guys who gets better every year. Um, he's averaging 12.9 points and 6.6 .6 assists per game, shooting 64.3% from the field. Uh, in the first game, though, he had two points and two rebounds in 16 minutes, and those 16 minutes weren't foul-prone or foul-plague minutes. He had one foul in 16 minutes. He didn't. He got 16 minutes because he was ineffective, and uh, Mike Young just benched him because of the ineffectiveness. And that ineffectiveness was Jordan Minor. That was uh, Minor's second start. Um, Virginia is now nine and two in Minor's starts, and so um, it's a team that's kind of 
grown up around a guy who averages four points a game, Jack Salt, like uh, in Miner's case. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, what Tech does to try to involve Kid more in the game plan tomorrow night. Uh, six, seven sophomore Tyler Nickel, uh, 9.2 points a game. He's a 43% shooter from three. Had a pretty quiet eight points on two of eight shooting uh, in the first game. Uh, Robbie Barron uh, is a 5.8 point per game scorer, 32.2% from threes, a 6'9 guy, Northwestern transfer. He had a pretty good game the first time out, 10.6 rebounds, a couple of threes. Uh, MJ Collins, uh, eight, 6.3 points a game, 24.6% from three. He hit a three early in that game. I remember telling the people on press run around me, a 20% foul sh- three-point shooter just made a three-pointer. That was all he did, though. He played 34 minutes, had three points, two assists, a rebound, and a steal. Um, I'm not sure what he does for this team. He'll probably hit an early three tomorrow night, and we'll all say, Chris said, he'll, you know, he doesn't do much. Um, and then you'll look up at the end of the night, and he probably won't have much on the scoreboard there. Um, so how Virginia plays this one, um, you know, Tech has lost four or five overall, I noted, and I'm really confused as how this is. Um, the big issue when you look in the numbers is on the defensive end. Tech ranks just 101st nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. And in this recent rough stretch, one in one win in five games, the Hokies are surrendering an average of 80.8 points a game. And when you look at points per possession, it's even worse. 80.8 points and then 1.199 points per possession. That's like Gonzaga at its best offense level. I mean, that's that's a that's an impressive number in a bad way. Um, so the focus for Tony Bennett and staff is going to be trying to figure out what to do to make it harder for the backcourt guys, Padula and Couture. Um, if you can make them work for their points, they're going to score points. We saw that in the first game. Even when they had rough nights, uh, Padula and Couture combined for 30 points in the loss. Um, make them work for those points uh, and uh, you know, not, don't, don't surrender open too many open shots. Don't let them get hot. Um, and then Jordan Miner on Lynn Kidd. Miner staying out of foul trouble will be key here. Uh, Ryan Dunn, uh, if, if Dunn can help out there, both uh, in post-to-post doubles perhaps on Kidd, and also then help out as a weak side defender if if Padula particularly, because Couture is more of a three-point shooter. Uh, but if Padula gets in the lane, if Ryan Dunn can sneak off, slough off just a little bit and help out with some help weak side defense, that will really help slow down. They're not you're not gonna stop those guys, but slow down the the guards. Um Beekman now, what I want to point out, uh, I think I did point out earlier in the podcast, but 18.5 points a game in those last five or last six now, as, as far as that goes. Um, uh, you know, defensively, Padula will be a factor, but then what he can do offensively. He's he's really carrying this team on his back right now offensively. Uh, it'd be great if he got some help from Isaac McNeely, who had 29 on the win at Florida State last week, um, averaging 12.4 per game. In the first game uh, in this uh, matchup with Virginia Tech, he had just eight points on three of eight shootings. So, um, would like to see much more of a, a night there from Isaac McNeely. Now, from a Vegas standpoint and a computer standpoint, the computers in Vegas both favor Virginia Tech slightly. I'm actually feeling pretty good about this matchup for Virginia just because Tech is struggling so much right now, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, Virginia, if, if uh, you know, get, get rolling early in this game, not rolling, not, you know, hitting the first 10 shots from the game, it, it, the only way you can win this game necessarily, but but uh, you know, just just you know, good offensive start. Be in the game early, um, as much as possible. Neutralize that crowd. 
I don't say take them out of the game because I don't think you're going to easily take this crowd out of the game. This is this is a Super Bowl type game for this tech team, this tech fan base. Um, you know, with a 14 and 11 record, Virginia Tech is not anywhere close to even having a, a great run down the stretch to play their way back into uh, at large bid consideration. And so, um, but but that said, you know, it's kind of like how we Virginia fans when it's football season. Um, it's kind of like, all right, we're not going to play in the national championship. We're not going to play in a playoff. We're not going to get a bowl game, but we'll make this our bowl game. Well, this is sort of uh, a similar kind of environment for Virginia Tech basketball fans, and um, and they play well there. Um, they've lost two of their last five at home, but that's uh, th that's not with eighty nine twenty five hanging off the rafters, uh, screaming for blood. That blood being orange and blue. So, uh, game time tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Game was on ESPN. Um, I will have uh, the post-game coverage, probably have a post-game, the first post-game story around 9.30 tomorrow night. And uh, we'll, we'll do what we can do thereafter uh, with uh, uh, the post-game interview with Coach Tony Bennett, my five observations column, and more. Um, also, look on the site. I won't go into great detail, but uh, wrapped up the the UVA baseball first weekend. It's hard to believe, but yes, this college baseball's already played three games. Um, I had a, a a nice recap of of today's game, but also the weekend uh, for Virginia three game sweep of Hofstra. Um, a recap uh, and look at the Virginia women's basketball team today losing to uh, to number nineteen Syracuse uh, in a in a tight game down the stretch 85 79 so look for that and uh, uh i guess that'll kind of wrap us up hey if you have any questions for me anything you want me to address in a future column um any tidbits anything like that please email me at chris at augustafreepress.com